This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff. We're on Rainier Avenue Radio. This is a second edition of my show. And on this show, Sports and Stuff, we're going to be hitting on the legal, business, political, sociological, and cultural issues of sports. Today, as my second guest, we have Seattle native, current Seattle resident, former Major League Baseball player, Garfield High School graduate, Central Washington University graduate, and current financial planner, Bill North. I have happened to know Bill for several years in the center of the universe, Seattle's Les Shy neighborhood. And I've always enjoyed Bill's insights on sports, baseball, and all sorts of subjects. And I'm going to um, get Bill on board here for a second. But as part of this introduction, I want to share that as a young kid growing up in northeast Seattle, I was a baseball card collector. And I would put a lot of the Seattle baseball cards on a little special column. Bill North, Ron Santo... Uh, other Washington State players like Ron Say. So it's just amazing the time machine, Bill. Here it is in 2017. I'm interviewing you on this show. And as a little kid, I used to look at your baseball cards and collect them. So I, it's fun to have you on. Um, I want to read this to Bill and the listeners a little bit more about Bill North. I got this from the Society of American Baseball Research Online, written by a guy Uh-oh. named Tim Ehrlich. And I want to read, Bill, Bill, what he writes about you here. And I know you are a... Played on four playoff teams. Had a couple World Series championship rings. Well, let me read this this sentence about Bill North. With determination, speed, toughness, swagger, and resolved to never back down from conflict or confrontation, Bill North forged an impressive 11-year Major League career with the Chicago Cubs, Oakland A's, Los Angeles Dodgers, and San Francisco Giants. Bill, that's a pretty good endorsement. Tim's a good guy. I paid him a lot of money to write that. Well, I, d- I doubt that. I doubt that. I doubt that. Well, Bill, today we're going to be getting your insights a lot on various sports issues, a lot of sports policy issues. I want to learn a little more about your career as well. Uh, but before we go forward, Bill, with some more uh, topics, I understand and I learned recently that Don Baylor, former Major League Baseball star, passed. I believe you and Don Baylor are pretty good friends, Bill. Can you share us with the listeners a little bit about Don Baylor? Oh, yeah. Donnie Kane, uh, we we were in the league at the same time, and he was over there in Baltimore. And then he uh, ended up coming to the Oakland A's, and he stayed with me for a while until he got his feet on the ground, but he was just a gentleman. Real, real intelligent man uh, with many interests in that, but just I consider him a good friend, and when I saw him, I smiled. Whenever That's one of the best compliments I can give. Just yeah. a great professional, Don Baylor. Yeah, and a good guy. Good too. guy, too. Yeah. He was a former Mariners hitting coach, too. Yeah, he yeah. could hit. I don't know. He stayed in the league long enough, so he must have known something about it. <laughs> Bill, when you played in, in, in baseball in the 1970s era, that was an era of considerable social changes were going on in the country at that time. Um, one, I'm going to ask you about several issues that were going on. One was the rise of players' rights, free agency. <laughs> players during that era had a lot of improvements in their working conditions. Can you share us with us a little bit about what Marvin Miller did for the game of baseball, the labor organizer? Well, I'll give you a personal example of what baseball was like. Uh, when I was playing for the Cubs in 72, they told me to, they wanted me to go to AAA to play because I skipped over AAA. And that... and. 
we got into a, 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 a little conversation about that. And they eventually told me that you're either going to the minor leagues or you're going to be suspended for baseball for the rest of your life and wow. you're not going to be able to play with anybody. And that was called the reserve clause, which essentially meant that you belong to that club and you, until they trade your rights or give your rights to somebody else, you had to do what they say. You had to go with they, where they said to go. And if they made a trade, you had no say in it. And then a guy named Kurt Flood came along, and he was traded from St. Louis to Philadelphia, and he didn't want to go. And that was really the big case, is because it went all the way to the Supreme Court, but he didn't win. But it brought a lot of notoriety. And then Marvin Miller came along from the National Labor Relations Board to head the Players Association. He was an executive director of the Players Association. And he started talking about collective bargaining and restriction of a free market. And it was a kind of thing where they wanted to, he broke down through a series of events with Dave McNally and Andy Messersmith, Catfish Hunter and those, broke down the uh, uh, reserve clause. And we went on strike in 1972, the first strike ever in baseball. And Miller was a, was a labor organizer that time, yeah, correct? He was yeah, a player's union yeah. chief, right? And it was the first strike, and we struck down the reserve clause. When we went on strike, I remember the night we had broke camp in Arizona had gone to New Orleans to play the White Sox and we were supposed to play them two games but after playing the first game that night at 12 o'clock all of baseball went on strike and the vote was 100% there was no dissension wow dissenters and pretty much whenever baseball had a work uh, uh, stoppage it was 100% strongest union in America this is Paul Schneierman on Sports and Stuff on Rainier of Avenue Radio. I have as a special guest today, former Major League Baseball star Bill North. Bill, do you, is it your opinion that Marvin Miller helped revolutionize the game of baseball? Yeah, because the owners had their narrative that was just simply not valid. And when they talked about their losing money and this and that, and all Marvin said, we'll open up your books. Let us see. To this day, the baseball owners have never opened up their books. <laughs> but it's a kind of thing that you had a very exclusive club. But more than that, these guys uh, were exempt from the Sherman Antitrust Laws. Sherman Antitrust. Yeah, because they conform, conform, conform to whenever there's an action. They don't. Congress tells them, "Don't bring it to me, because if I got to do this again, you might lose that exemption." The U.S. Supreme Court wrote in one opinion that baseball is a sport, not a business. All right. Well, that's tell that to uh, uh, that guy making thirty million dollars, <laughs> right, 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 and never missing the paycheck. Bill, let me, let me, I want to ask you a little more about about Kurt Flood and Marvin Miller. Would the baseball establishment ever let Marvin Miller in the Hall of Fame? Possibly, <laughs> he's. I doubt it. I doubt it. That's like uh, uh, letting Malcolm X in the 
Republican Party. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, Marvin was a, a, a very, very contentious uh, 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 what do I want to say? A foe. Very contentious, uh, learned foe to uh, the establishments in baseball and the owners. And they didn't really like him at all at, because he changed everything. But he was proper. He was very well educated. But he did, they didn't like him. And they still probably don't. They ought to get over it. Bill, though, didn't, Marvin Miller, didn't Marvin Miller, Bill, before he died, state that he didn't care about being in the Baseball Hall of Fame anymore? Didn't he make comments to that effect? I don't, I'm not quite sure he cared. If, if the Marvin I knew, yeah. I'm not quite sure he cared about it before that. You know, Marvin was a very self-contained man. He was in the, the Players Hall of Fame. And you know, these guys don't know Marvin Miller now, but you know what? He was like... Michael Milken, when they, you back in the days, and with Drexel Burnham Lambert, when they get all these MBAs and and all they walked around and said Michael, Michael, all <laughs> we walked around and said Marvin's coming. Isn't that something? Yeah. <laughs> of course, when Marvin came, he generally brought a check. He was really team. revered in player circles, Miller. Then totally yeah. revered. Right. Totally interesting. Yeah. Back back to Kurt Flood, Bill. Can you make a case? That Kurt Flood and Marvin Miller may has been may have been as influential to the game of baseball, or even more so than Jackie Robinson. Could could that argument be made about Kurt Flood and Marvin Miller? I don't. Uh, you you you're talking apples and oranges. Jackie set it up for all of us for Kurt Flood to be able to go there, and the establishment was in his his act. Uh, I think Kurt Flood. And Marvin Miller were an offshoot or a follow-up to what Jackie established. I wouldn't get that. I'll tell you this: they got to be all three of them got to be in the top ten. Will Kurt well, Flood ever? Jackie is number one. Will <laughs> Kurt Flood Bill ever be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? No, I don't think he had a, 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 the numbers to do it. But it broke his heart, and Kurt. Kurt was a very, very sensitive man. I considered him a friend, too. He was an artist. He did, uh, 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 he painted and he sculpted, and he was just a sensitive person. And they took his, his real love away from him, the game, and it broke his heart. And he moved out of the United States and moved to Spain. Read, I read a great biography on Flood a few years back. Yeah, and, and he he went over there and just kind of holed up. and that. But he eventually came back. But you, you could still see pain in his eyes. And wow. Yeah, I mean, and he was a very gentle man. He was always kind to me, and I, I appreciate that. But they used him and abused him. And... All he was was sensitive and felt comp uh, 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 felt compelled to stand up and say, "Come on, man, why are you treating me like that?" 
Real classy guy then. Real nice guy. Real nice. Yeah, classy. Bill, right now... Interesting, man. This is a subject that comes up, and you and I have talked about this subject off the air a little bit. We've talked about the the labor relations subjects as well. But in the mid-70s, I believe close to 33% or so of all baseball players... Uh, the major leagues were African-American. Right now, I believe it's down to 8%. There's also a lack of African-American managers and executives in Major League Baseball. I don't, I don't know if there's any black owners either. Bill, share, share with us, what, what happened? What's happened to the decline of African-Americans playing in Major League Baseball? Well, it's a kind of thing that I feel that when they needed entertainment, and this was before ESPN and the TV contracts and that they needed to put an entertaining team on the field, a team that could play. And African-Americans, you know, they played stickball. They were at the park. I was at the park all the time and all that kind of stuff. And then it got to be where money controlled it. And they found a different market. Not that they wanted to go and and scout in the inner city anyway. And I'm going to tell you that it's, it's, it's quite a thing to realize what can happen if you got money in your pocket and in America you don't have to use an African-American. And, and it's quite... I think the proof is in the pudding. They built 20 academies in the Caribbean before they finished one in the inner city of L.A. Are there any baseball academies right now in inner cities? Yeah, yesterday? there's a, a number of them, but it's, it's the RBI program. There are, there are a couple academies, but they could sign. Let's, let's talk about the statistics. I remember it being 29.8% at one point. You might have different statistics. Now... Latin players are 27 or 28 percent because of the, the, the development of their, uh, their abilities for a lot cheaper. They don't have to pay Latin players as much as they, they would pay an American. They can get, sign them at 16 and this and that. This is Paul Schneiderman on sports and stuff. I have a smile as my special guest, Bill North. Bill, do you do you th- think that baseball um, is it is it heavily economic? Why they're spending more time in training academies in Latin America than than many predominantly African American neighborhoods in the United States, or, or is there anything more to it as well? Well, I would th- I would let you draw your own conclusions on that. Uh, Baseball has become an extremely expensive sport. There are no facilities in the inner city, where in, in the public schools, because of the fact they bear, they can barely buy books. And and how can you how can you build a good facility in the inner city? And so what happens is these kids in the suburbs have been raised playing together and they, they've been developed together on, and they have these things in their suburbs called, called booster clubs. And their parents got money and they facilitate, build facilities and, and that. Now these guys have facilities and when they play an inner city team and they beat them 18 to 2, 
ask me where is where is the joy for an inner city kid to play baseball? Bill, when you're getting beat up like that, Bill. What what we hear sometimes is that in this era, a lot of African American kids may be more interested in other sports. Do, do you buy that at all? I no. I think that they've been out outpriced, and and they have it. I know in Seattle that. I tried to get for three years to get Major League Baseball to build a facility right down twenty third. Really? Uh, uh, it was twenty second in Massachusetts. They have some warehouses there, and they were they came to town, but they blew smoke for three years and didn't do anything. And what I was trying to get is when they talked about the revival of baseball in the inner city. I was expressing that now you have a city in Seattle that kids in the suburbs get to go indoors and play baseball and they enjoy that. So they develop uh, uh, year-round as opposed to in the inner city, these kids have nowhere to go. And I was driving down the street one time up in Linwood and it was drizzling, and they were out playing baseball. And I remember that <laughs> vividly because I used to do that. <laughs> Bill, we could talk so much more on, and I'm going to have you back sometime on this on a lot of these subjects. I want to move on to something else: the role of activism in sports. It seemed like during the '60s and '70s era, Muhammad Ali is one name. We heard a lot about athletes that were very outspoken in their position on various issues. The Kaepernick issue has come up recently. Is activism coming back a little bit more among professional athletes? I don't know. I think that in this time of division in our country, there's a lot of people that have been uh, developed develop their own enclaves to where they can be influenced and not have to go outside and see what whether the influence is is valid or not and I think that this stuff in the world is people hold up in their in their suburbs and in their little towns and they don't want to hear it of course they don't have it's not for me it's my observation is that they don't have enough information to even comment on Colin, Colin Kaepernick uh, uh, and, and, but they they comment very vehemently and with hate and and anger. And I don't think that this is an issue that you should have hate and anger. You should have discussion. Bill, when you played when you played in your in your career, did social and political subjects come up very much in the clubhouse? I know you mentioned labor issues, but did was it were the ball players interested in these sorts of subjects? Well, I think it changed. Because you got to see, I was college edu- educated and I was an activist. Excuse me. You went back and finished in 1992 at Central Washington, right? I, yeah, yeah, 93, I yeah. graduated. Yeah. And, and to make mama, mama pay for my schooling. <laughs> and the only time she ever missed a payment on the house was when she had to pay my tuition. 
I figured that I should eventually finish. <laughs> you did. A lot of pl- but ball players don't have degrees, correct? Yeah. Well, I had enough credits, but not en- enough natural sciences. And so that's when I got into geology, which is one of my favorite things. Great. Great. Bill, any thoughts, another issue that seems to come up in the sports world, it comes up a little more in the NFL these days, is this issue of domestic violence and sexual assault. And I read under the baseball current labor agreement, the commissioner has a lot of discretion and powers in deciding some of these issues when they come up. Any, any thoughts on uh, whether baseball is doing enough uh, to address domestic violence? And what do you think of the commissioner having powers to kind of be the sole decision maker on all these issues. I think that's another subject that and I'm not going to get into whether he has powers or not. I don't have very much tolerance for domestic violence. Uh, uh, but that right there is being handled, I think, with uh, uh, fingers being stuck in the dike. And there needs to be more education and more uh, uh I'm sure there's a way to handle this if you wanted to spend the time and the effort. But a lot of times it appears to be in an area where, or might be publicized more in an area where you're using minorities and you're seeing minorities and you, you know, and... I don't think that it's covered fairly, but I don't care what color you are. You don't need to be having violence. You don't need to. to Do you think the NFL has more of a problem with that issue in other sports? I think that uh, uh, in in my time, there wasn't social media. I think people can tell on each other or want to, you know, or get exposed on what they're doing and inciting sometimes a a mate to uh, confront them. And and now you got caught dirty and your only response is to (laughs) things are more transparent now, aren't they, Bill? Exactly. Yeah, I think I just now be getting out of San Quentin if they had those phones. Bill, uh, (laughs) Bill, just um, kidding. Bill, I, I, um, I, interesting when looking at your career that you, you never played for Seattle. Did you ever want to play for the Mariners in your career, Bill? No, I was, uh, I got to come here for one year and, and, uh, but I, you know, I kind of, I was a Californian boy. I left town. You're a Garfield High School guy. Come I on, know, but I love America, especially California. <laughs> this is Paul Schneider on sports and stuff with Bill North. Um, Bill, uh, what, one something else that I've, I've kind of learned talking to you and some other athletes, it seems, not all athletes, but it seems like some athletes, when they're done with their career, it could be after their college career, may have some challenges at times finding the next path of their careers, but you've been successful as a financial planner. Any thoughts on whether baseball could do more and other sports could do more helping players get integrated in new careers? Well, I think that now the money has changed so drastically that, and it was quite challenging when I got out of baseball because I didn't have anywhere to go and it just developed, you know, and I was playing an old timers game and Equitable was a sponsor in San Francisco, and they asked me to come to work for them, and that was in, I think, 84. Didn't know that. 
Yeah, yeah. And, I, and since that time, I've been in, in financial services. Yeah. Have, but, have you have you found most of the guys that you play with have, have most made a pretty good transition after baseball? I have very few have. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Do, yeah. do a lot of them rely on their baseball pensions heavily then? Is that... Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah but it's, you know, it's hard to develop other venues when you have you're mentally inordinate being a professional athlete you have to be because it's that time that OCD when you were out there by yourself and and the wars and the effect it has on you is tremendously overwhelming and especially when you go away from it I it took me three years to admit I wasn't angry and and where I and you played eleven years. Most guys yeah. don't play anything close to that. I mean, well, I had to admit to myself what it was, and it was I still, at my age, being out of the game this long. In January and February, I still have dreams about spring training and going to play. You still do. Yeah, that's how dominating the game is. Wow, it's intoxicating, isn't it? It's well, it's just permeating. <laughs> Bill, what would what would Commissioner Bill North do to change the game of baseball? This is probably going to be our last subject matter today. Mm-hmm. What would what would what would you do if you were if you were the commissioner? What were some changes you'd implement or try? To- I would I would seriously seriously try and develop venues for uh, uh, kids that don't have privilege. Uh, for them to have some place to go and with it educate them and give them some joy and make sure that they get to experience it too and you know RBI is reviving baseball in the inner city I know to me in Seattle it could have done more but it's just the kind of thing to be, I have a project that I, I'm working on right now, and it's called Early Childhood Development and Childhood Adversity. And it has to do with the development of a brain of a child. And if they don't get fed and they don't bond within two and a half Important work. Two and a half years, if their checkpoints aren't made in the first two and a half years, they're destined to live a life like a lot of these kids in the inner city live today. I go to work on that immediately. Important stuff. Bill, it's just been a pleasure to have you on Sports and Stuff. I look forward to having you back, and uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Praise God.